to page 540, where we find the Word of God concerning baptism summarized in Lord's Day 26. Question 69, we confess the following. How does holy baptism signify and seal to you that the one sacrifice of Christ on the cross benefits you? In this way, Christ instituted this outward washing and with it gave the promise that as surely as water washes away the dirt from the body, so certainly his blood and spirit wash away the impurity of my soul, that is, all my sins. What does it mean to be washed with Christ's blood and spirit? To be washed with Christ's blood means to receive forgiveness of sins from God through grace because of Christ's blood poured out for us in his sacrifice on the cross. To be washed with his spirit means to be renewed by the Holy Spirit and sanctified to be members of Christ so that more and more we become dead to sin and lead a holy and blameless life. Where has Christ promised that he will wash us with his blood and spirit as surely as we are washed with the water of baptism? In the institution of baptism, where he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. This promise is repeated where Scripture calls baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins. So far, our confession. In response to the preaching of the word, we'll sing Psalm 12, stanza 4 about how the word of the Lord is flawless, purified seven times over. God always keeps his promises. Church of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the previous Lord's Day 25, we saw, we confessed that the Lord Jesus has given us two precious gifts to help strengthen our weak and faltering faith. He's given us, on the one hand, the, the preaching of the gospel, and on the other, the administration of the sacraments. These are God's chosen tools to strengthen us, to, to bestow his grace upon us. The Holy Spirit uses the preaching to plant faith, and he uses both the preaching and the sacraments to build up the faith that was planted. And the only way our faith can be strengthened is when that faith is placed squarely in our Savior, Jesus Christ. That is precisely what we see in the sacrament of holy baptism. The symbol points us again to Jesus, to what Christ has accomplished, to what the Lord Jesus has done 
for you and me. And what he has done is to wash away our sins in his blood. And so I proclaim to you this word of God, baptism is the promise of your washing in Christ. We'll see two things. We are washed in his blood and we are washed in his spirit. If you remember only one thing about this afternoon's sermon, and I hope you'll remember a few things, but if it's only one, let it be this, that baptism pictures or symbolizes the washing away of our sin in Christ. It's all about washing. The Lord's Day stresses this over and again. In Lord's Day 26, the word wash or washing comes up ten times, almost at the risk, you might think, of overdoing it. Lord's Day 27 carries on with the same stress, making use of those words another four times. So the, the authors of the catechism, they really wanted to stress and make it abundantly clear that baptism has everything to do with, with cleansing, with the removal of filth, with washing. And this washing is something which happens to us. We're on the receiving end of this sign and seal. We don't, in this instance, wash ourselves. Nobody baptizes themselves. The Catechism stresses this to get away from the notion that was common in the Reformation and also today, that there is in baptism something of what we offer up to God. That baptism itself is a confession of our faith in Christ. That baptism is an expression of our commitment to the Lord. But remember, brothers and sisters, what sacraments are. We confess that in Lord's Day 25. They're very simple. They're signs and seals which do what? They retell the gospel message in picture form. And the gospel message is always, always, always only what Jesus has done for us, and it's not what we do for Jesus. This is not to say that we don't respond to the gospel. Of course we do. We respond by confessing our sins. We respond by expressing our faith in the Lord Jesus. But that response is something separate. It's something beyond the sacrament itself. This is what our young people do, for instance, when they stand before the congregation and profess faith. When they do that, what exactly are they doing? Well, they are responding to the very promises which they had once received in their baptism. They're standing before God and his church, and they're making a confession, even as we sang it from Psalm 18, they're basically saying, yes, Lord, I love you. That's profession of faith. I love you because you first loved me. You, Father, have put faith in my heart. 
I believe everything you promised me at my baptism. I understand what you've promised me. I believe it. I'm fully committed to you. I love you. want to serve you. So we absolutely respond to baptism. But baptism itself is a symbolic washing away of our sins. It's a picture of what Jesus does for us. In the Bible, baptism is always linked to water and repentance. Water and its cleansing effect. Think of John the Baptist. He stationed himself, says the Bible, beside the Jordan River because there was water readily available. He said in Matthew 3, verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance. John links the water to repentance. Repentance is turning away from sin and starting over fresh. The link in people's minds would have been very clear. By coming to John and confessing their sins, which is what they did, confessing in sincere repentance before God, they were starting clean with God. And when John baptized them, again, notice the passive, John took them into the river and immersed them. That was a symbolic representation that now before God, they were made clean. God was making them clean. They were washed from their sin. Lord's Day 26, at the end, mentions another text, Acts 22, verse 16. And here again, the washing comes out very clearly. In that text, the Apostle Paul is describing his conversion through the ministry of Ananias. Ananias, you might remember that story. Paul was blind and had been struck blind after he had seen the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus. Well, Ananias comes to Paul, spoke to him the word of God, which called Paul to be a witness to all men for Christ. And then Ananias said to the stunned Paul, and I quote, and now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name, on Christ's name. Ananias directly links baptism with the washing away of sins. And it's totally understandable. It's a very natural picture, isn't it? It's a symbol from everyday usage. Just like water washes away dirt from the body, so the blood of Jesus washes away the dirt of sin from my soul. It's washing. Well, Okay, you might be thinking, but what then about Romans 6, which we read? You might want to open your Bible to Romans 6. We're going to just look at a couple of verses there for a moment. Romans 6, verses 4 and 5. Some people point to these verses and they, they say, well, these verses show that baptism symbolizes something different, something else, namely, our dying to sin. Where Paul writes in verse 4, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, 
we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. So people are picking up from these couple of verses a different image. This is what they understand. And according to this line of thought, the, the water is symbolic, not of washing, but of the grave. And full body immersion, which is what they would insist upon, is a picture of the believer being immersed into death, a believer dying. When that person is immersed into the water, then their sinful nature symbolically enters the grave, some say. And when they come up out of the water, that is symbolic of their spiritual resurrection from the dead. So from these two verses, they see baptism as a symbol not of Christ washing them, but rather of them dying to sin. This is why you find in some circles adults getting baptized not just once but several times in the course of their lives. If they experience a time of backsliding and then, re and then repent, they may very well feel the need to be baptized again, feel the need to make a renewed commitment to Christ, a sign that they have once again died to sin in their life. Baptize me again they reason. But is that what Jesus gave baptism for? Were any of the disciples baptized more than once? Did Paul baptize people multiple times or ever teach that we should? Is baptism more fundamentally, is it a symbol of what we do? Then we have to look at carefully again at verse 4. I read this, shall we say, a bit more slowly. It says there that we were therefore buried with Christ by baptism. Notice it does not say we were buried like Christ. Same in verse 5. We are united with Christ in his death and resurrection. Paul doesn't say we are put to death and raised again in a similar manner to Jesus. No. Paul does not say here that our baptism is a symbolic likening of our death and resurrection, likening to Christ's death and resurrection. He doesn't describe our baptism as a symbolic parallel to Christ's dying and coming back to life. No, he says very simply but very powerfully, we are buried with Christ. Our death is not like Christ's death. Our death is contained in Christ's death. There's a, a fundamental difference there. We don't die like Jesus died. No, we die in Jesus. We are raised in Christ, with Christ, in his person. What Paul is describing with these prepositions is union. 
union with Christ's death and with his resurrection, he's not describing a similar event that happens separately to us. It all happens to us as we are in Christ, united to Christ. So baptism, you see, is a sign and seal of God's covenant promise binding us to Christ and making us children of the Father. Baptism is God's claim of ownership upon us. When we were baptized, remember, we were baptized into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The triune God is taking an action. What's he doing with that action? He's marking us. He's separating us out from the world by placing a special sign upon us, the sign of his own covenant of love, promising to wash us from our sins in the blood of his Son. Baptism, like circumcision previously, is the initiation into God's covenant. And it's the extension of God's tremendous, grace, gracious promises. I want to emphasize that too for a moment. Baptism is a sign and seal of God's promises. It is not a guarantee of unchangeable salvation to the recipient. That word promise comes up a lot too in these Lord's Days on the sacraments. You can think back to Lord's Day 25 or the sacraments we confess declare and seal to us more fully the promise of God. And in answer 69, we confess that Christ instituted this outward washing and with it gave the promise. 71, where has Christ promised that he will wash us with his blood? And if you look through all the Lord's days on the sacraments, you'd find the word promise or the word assure or the word pledge, all of which are synonyms in this context. The catechism doesn't want anybody walking away with the wrong idea that the instant you're baptized, you're automatically saved. It's about a promise being applied to you, to the recipient. There are, it's a sad reality, but there are lots of people who are baptized but remain unsaved. There are even people who partake of the Lord's Supper on the earth but who will never taste of the marriage feast of the Lamb in heaven. Scriptures speak about that in various places. The sacraments are not magical conduits of God's power that work to bring God's blessing to whomever happened to, happens to receive them. No, that is the error of sacramentalism. That's foreign to the Bible. It was rejected in the Reformation very strongly. Now, to be sure, the sacraments are holy signs and seals. They're definitely something special, and whoever misuses them is sure to incur the anger of the holy God, but they only serve to benefit those who use them in faith. You have to 
employ them with faith. The promise of the gospel has to be taken into our heart, understood, believed, and then it will have its blessed effect of building up faith. So to say it a different way, baptism itself doesn't save anybody. Christ saves. He's the Savior. Baptism marks you out as a recipient of the promise of salvation, as, as a child of God by virtue of the covenant, but then you have the responsibility to respond in faith. We'll see this more next week, or you will anyway in Lord's Day 27, but that is the basis on which our children are baptized. Why do we bring our children forward for baptism? Well, it's not because we believe baptism saves the child, and it's not because we believe that those infants are included in the faith of their parents. No. Our sons and daughters are baptized for one simple reason. Because God, in his grace, chose to give a covenant, his covenant, to believers and to their children. It's God's idea to extend the covenant relationship to the children of believers. That's Old Testament and New Testament. All grace. But then, in Old and New Testament, those children have that responsibility to embrace the promises as they grow up. They have to cling to them and hope and follow the God of the covenant with all their heart, whether they've been circumcised on the eighth day or were baptized on the second Sunday after birth. The requirement is the same now as it ever was. We have to trust and we have to obey. That's the, the baptismal call for every one of us. So brothers and sisters, grab hold of those promises. The promises you received at your baptism every day again, think on them and embrace them in faith and live by them. One of those promises comes from our Heavenly Father. He promised to provide all good for you and for me, and to either avert all evil, or if he were to, in his providential care, allow hardship into your life, what did he promise? He promised to turn that hardship to your good, to your benefit. Grab onto that promise. Last week, hardship came. Hardship came into a lot of our lives and it came like a ton of bricks. And the tears have been pouring and there will be more to come. And that hardship of last week came into the life of this congregation when you had already been wrestling with adversity for a while. And Darren's passing came as another blow. Well, brothers and sisters, do not, do not get this wrong. Don't, don't think that God has forgotten you. 
Don't think either that the Lord God is angry with you or is punishing you or has left you. No, no. He once abandoned his son. He once punished his son. He once let his anger out on his son, Jesus, so that he would never have to pour it out on us, never have to abandon us. By Christ's blood, you and I, we are washed from our sins, so we are at peace with God, and you are loved by the Lord God. Loved. He promised that to you at your baptism. Yes, the heat of the refiner's fire is upon you all. It's true. But your Father has sworn at your baptism to bring you through the refiner's fire. And what will be the result of the refining work? You will look more like your Savior, Jesus Christ, you will walk closer with your God. Hang on to that promise. Also this week when you have to bury your, your brother, your father, your husband, your son. For what the blood of Christ does for our guilt taking that away. The Spirit of Christ also does for our grime, you could say. That's the second promise contained in our baptism. Answer 69 speaks about Christ's blood and spirit. And question 70 asks, what does it mean to be washed with Christ's blood and with his spirit? So as, as miraculous and, and gracious as forgiveness of sin is, the Lord sees fit to add another blessing to it, a blessing described as the washing with his spirit. And that washing, we confess, it means to be renewed more and more by the Holy Spirit and sanctified to be members of Christ so that we become dead to sin and lead a holy and blameless life. So there's, there's sort of two aspects to this, more and more we become dead to sin. So that's saying it negatively. Something's being killed off. But positively, more and more we lead a holy and blameless life. Well, brothers and sisters, this is, this is tremendous news. This means those sins which afflict us and plague us against our will, they do not need to oppress us indefinitely. You know, sometimes we might have that idea that the Christian life is, is nothing but, nothing more than a perpetual cycle of sin and forgiveness. Same kinds of sins, we receive forgiveness, hit repeat. Sin and forgiveness, sin and forgiveness. And we get to thinking that what we have in Christ is the wonderful comfort of being set free from our guilt. And yet we go again day after day into the same old patterns, the same old sin, the same old lifestyle, like we are chained to it. 
as if we are powerless to change our sinful patterns. We sometimes can get into thinking that we're just going to have to wait until kingdom come before the pattern of unbreakable sin can be smashed. But brothers and sisters, remember your baptism. Remember the promise of washing with the Holy Spirit and grab hold of that promise too. This is in fact Paul's larger point in Romans 6. In chapter 5, he has written extensively about the grace of forgiveness, which we receive through faith in Christ. Our sin is great, he says, but God's grace is greater. But then he doesn't want the, the Roman Christians or us to draw any wrong conclusions from that, that statement. So, in chapter 6, verse 1, he draws out a possible error. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to, to just continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Doesn't make sense. He will mention, Paul will, later in chapter 8, that we live this new life through the Holy Spirit. But already now, in chapter 6, he describes the new life we possess as the life in Christ. We no longer shall live in sin because we are in Christ. In fact, it's to make this point even stronger that he brings up baptism in the first place. We have been baptized into Christ. So the name of Christ is stamped invisibly but indelibly upon our foreheads. Can't be erased. We belong to Christ. More even, we are one with the Lord Jesus. And that's got consequences. That's just not a theoretical thing. Paul insists that everything that has happened to Christ has happened to Christians, to those who are united with him. We have died with Christ. We are raised with Christ. That's a bit abstract and, and kind of hard maybe to get your, your mind around that. Let's, let's try to work that through with a very simple example. Picture a jelly bean. You, you like jelly beans maybe? You can pick a color. I'm picking, thinking of a red jelly bean. That's, that's my favorite. Put that jelly bean into a bottle. Now take some, some rope and tie it around the neck of the bottle and hang that bottle in a tree. Where is the jelly bean? hanging from the tree, of course. Now take that bottle and bury it in the ground. Where is the jelly bean now? Of course, it's in the ground. Well, then dig away the dirt. Take that bottle out of the dirt and open the lid. What will you find inside? Of course, the jelly bean is inside still, obviously. Being baptized into Christ, it makes us one with Christ. What he went through, we went through. We are one in his death. We were on the tree. 
on the cross. We went into the grave. We rose up from the grave in Him. We have by faith in Him gone through all these things. And because Christ also has the Holy Spirit of power, we are given the Holy Spirit of power. It is this union with the Lord Jesus that is so powerful and so impactful that leads Paul to say, verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin may be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. No longer enslaved to sin. This is the impact, the consequence of being washed in Christ, which is itself symbolized by baptism. Christ sets us free from the dominion of sin. So very practically, brothers and sisters, this means that the Christian life does not have to be a, an uninterrupted cycle of sin over sin over sin without interruption, without change, without overcoming Yes, on the other side, sin will never be absent from our lives because it still powerfully exists within our bodies and in our hearts and it exerts a powerful influence. That's on the negative side, yes. But on the positive side, because of our union with the Lord Jesus and the presence and power of His Holy Spirit, the washing of His Holy Spirit, we are enabled to do a lot to control the flow of sin, to become dead to, this, to sin, as the catechism puts it, to become alive to righteousness and holiness. You see, brothers and sisters, the, the presence of the Spirit of Jesus is a game changer. That's why Paul says in verse 12 of chapter 6, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, for sin will have no dominion over you. This is a command that we are enabled to obey and put into practice through the washing of the Holy Spirit. Christ shall be your master, not sin. You shall do the will of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you. He has promised in your baptism to wash away that daily grime of our sin. Is that a promise you're grabbing hold of, beloved? We ought to grab hold of that. That's what God wants. And the inspired apostle, he wants us to think about that promise in a big way, positively. In 1 Corinthians 6, which we read, he lists off a whole slew of wicked behaviors, beginning in verse 9. He mentions the sexually immoral idolaters, adulterers, homosexual offenders, thieves, drunkards. And then he says, and that is what some of you were. Past tense. 
You're not that any longer. You used to live life that way. You're not that anymore. And Paul goes on to explain, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You were washed. Remember your baptism. You were washed. You're not an adulterer anymore. You're not a drunkard anymore. You're not a homosexual offender anymore. You've put those ways of living behind you. That's why, brothers and sisters, you and I were able to go to work fighting our sins. That's why, in the strength of the Holy Spirit, and I'm not suggesting you may not need human assistance and encouragement, that's part of what being church is all about, but ultimately, in the strength of the Holy Spirit, you and I can confront our sins and go to work on making them die off and bringing to life obedience. You can put down the booze and the beer and you can say to the drink, no more. You can turn over a new leaf of sexual purity and turn off the internet when the temptation calls. That's why you and I can abandon the idols, whatever idols our hands have built, and cling to the one true God because we have been washed not only by the blood of Christ, but equally by the Spirit of Christ. Never forget your baptism. Paul underlines this at the end of 1 Corinthians 6. After speaking about sexual sin, he recalls a basic fact that they all knew. Verse 19, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. What's Paul saying? Well, he's saying, in essence, don't say to the Lord, I can't change. It's my character, and I can't alter my character. It's just the way I am. I've tried so many times to quit. To say those things, to say that it's impossible, is to deny your baptism. You and I, we have an enormous God. He's far bigger than our weaknesses and our addictions and our character flaws. His power can overcome us. Look at how he changed those, those, those disciples we read about in the Gospels. Look at how their character changed from those four Gospels to when we see them in the book of Acts. It's like night and day. And Think of how Paul was changed by the Spirit of Christ. That same Spirit who did all those things and so many more powerful things recorded in Scripture, that's, that Holy Spirit lives in you. And He lives in me. So we can get busy cleaning up our sins. The Catechism uses the phrase more and more. 
we can put to sin to death more and more. We can bring to life obedience more and more in the strength of the Spirit. That's, that's sober, realistic, biblical optimism. The life of a baptized child is not a downward spiral of one sinful mess after another with no hope of turning it around. No. And it's not either a flat line of status quo where you pretty much end this life with the same sinful habits you started it with. No. Your washing and mine, washing with the Spirit, it puts us on a, a different trajectory. We're moving upward. Yes, there may well be setbacks. Even the holiest saint like David and Peter, they had times of weakness and they fell hard. But overall, there is a movement going forward. There is a general line of progress. Forgiveness plus renewal. Security, comfort, and sanctification. It's the twin blessings of the blood and the Spirit of Christ washing us, washing us all to the honor of God. Take hold, brothers and sisters, of those promises. Give thought to those promises of your baptism. Give thought to the, the washing you have received and which still impacts you day by day. Seek God's comfort and God's strength in that daily washing and you will find all that you're looking for and more. Amen.